Chapter two, boldness. In 2015, an idea was trending. It was everywhere and nowhere in particular. Like that famous tipping point idea where monkeys on one side of an island learned to use a tool and suddenly monkeys on the other side of the island who had never seen the tool or the other group suddenly started using it. The zeitgeist had changed. There was something in the ether. The idea of the damsel in distress was out of vogue. I was raised on fairy tales and romance, always a woman waiting for Prince Charming. Rapunzel stuck in the tower, Sleeping Beauty in a coma, Ariel, who gave up her natural body and her voice, talk about symbolism, for a man. I'd spent nine years in distress, a damsel, swooning, trudging in the ashes, confident my prince of a husband would rescue me, our marriage, our sex life, our love. His quest was just to the doctor. His dragon, just an unknown ailment. And I was his lady love, the one he'd vowed to love and honor till death do us part. How could this tale go wrong? All my training said he would slay the dragon and return with the holy grail. Damsels in distress were always rescued, always. But this was reality, not fantasy. Turns out I had to be my own hero. Slay the dragon of life on my own again, and enter the dating pool on a quest. After 16 dates, I had my holy grail, and it was so worth it. I had rescued myself, gone on my crusade through bogs, briars, and the valley of filth, and arrived at Prince Charming's castle. I no longer needed a dating app. It was time to stop receiving inboxes, slews of emails, and enjoy my plunder. But... Before I deleted my profile, something unexpected happened. I was just about to push the button and got a message. I almost ignored it, but something said, check it out. CM, San Antonio, about eight years older than me, online now and wanting to talk now. I'd never had a live conversation in the app and I declined. He countered stating, I know it's late. I know your profile says you only want someone local, but you intrigue me. Give me five minutes. If I bore you and don't make you laugh, hang up. Here's my real phone number. Call me anonymously. I was intrigued. I called. We laughed and talked five hours and talked every day for two years straight. And then we met. But that's a story for another chapter, another year. I'd grown to love my castle. I adored Prince JJ, but all things come to an end. He was leaving, getting transferred, and he, still a prince who put me first, suggested I find a replacement. Part of me was annoyed by the suggestion, maybe even a little hurt. Part of me was hoping the transfer would fall through, that he would be needed in Houston longer. Most of me could not picture replicating anything like this with anyone, ever. I had been alive 45 years and had never experienced this type of dating. But eventually, somewhat half-heartedly, I gave in. This time around was different. 2015, divorced six months now, 
Used to regular and amazing sex, I was nothing like the damsel in distress who had posted a profile pic and expected no one to respond. I was glad I had deleted the old profile. I was different, new, improved, much more comfortable in my skin, unapologetic about my sensuality, bolder, blunter, braver. I shed the last dating site and started over. Now, before I go any further, let's discuss dating site profiles. I probably don't have to tell you this, but I am not a picture taker. I avoid them if at all possible. I knew when I made a profile, I'd have to have some. My phone was crap. I hadn't yet traded it in. And I noticed on a mall trip with my sons buying prom gear that there was a photo kiosk. Voila, two pictures. Two pictures I didn't want to take in the first place. Two pictures while I was still going through my divorce. Can you see the resignation on my face? Two pictures when I think it had been six years since I'd been on a date because my husband wouldn't take me out. Two pictures when I hadn't been touched for about eight months and was absolutely terrified of putting up a profile that got no response. Looking at my chest in these pictures, I have no idea how I thought that I'd get no response. I also have no idea why I thought I was extremely overweight. Looking at these pics and thinking back to my self-image, I realized I had low self-esteem. But six months later, I was in a different place, mentally, emotionally, physically. Those profile pics, that profile description, did not fit who I had become. And besides, after hanging out on an app, it seems to get haunted by the conversations that went nowhere, the disrespectful virtual catcalls, the obscene suggestions that you deleted but still come to mind whenever that app's icon flashes on the screen. Deleting the profile and building a new one on a different site was a palate cleanser. Coincidentally, around this time, I found out that JJ himself was a palate cleanser, according to urban slang. He was my fling that cleared the debris of my divorce, preparing me for my next serious relationship. I don't remember what pics I used for my new profile, but I do remember doing an internet search on how to write a fab dating profile. Before, I'd expected no responses. This time, I was ready for a slew, and I wanted my profile to narrow the stream to a small trickle. Below are the guppies this new profile snagged. Date 17, Mr. Metrosexual. All was going well at Denny's till he asked to see my hands and replied, you have nice nails, but well, my girl will hit you up, boo. Exfoliate you, do your cuticles. I expected a snap and a head flourish, and even though those were not forthcoming, I saw Metro as someone I might take on a spa day, but I would never be attracted to a minute more. Dates 18 and 19. Mr. Clean, who looked like the proverbial cartoon, just black, and the musky mentalist, both had body odor so strong it almost made my eyes smart and I made an excuse and left. Dates 20 and 21. Sugar Daddy was offering just that. 
funds for sex and attention. A married man who hadn't had sex with his wife in years. They even had separate bedrooms. He stayed just so she wouldn't get half. The bassist, gorgeous, sexy, took me back to Rico Suave in my head, but he was not married. Just attached to his third baby mama, mother to two of his six kids. He was on tour and gave me a walk through the tour bus, the venue, and an autographed album. Dates 22 and 23. Date 22, Vincent Price, took me to an Irish pub with stairs I thought I might kill myself in, climbing in heels. It was dark, dingy, and grimy. I think they had this place in mind when the phrase greasy spoon was coined. I didn't want to eat, drink, or even touch anything. Then he began talking about death. I tried to change the subject, but he wasn't having it. He had the most charming English accent, but all I could think about was asking if he would do the Vincent Price laugh. I refrained. But for the second time after meeting up with a guy, I went into super scrub mode that night. Date 23. The beautician spent our whole date describing his nine kids who needed a mother because theirs had passed away. Coincidentally, he showed up in the people you might know on Facebook a year later, and he was in fact married by then, having found his replacement bride. Dates 24 to 26. Rappers 1, 2, and 3, there's nothing really to describe. No personality, no conversation, no interest on my part. I was beginning to wonder, did men memorize the lines they used online? And in the initial conversations, were there some scripts they were reading from? How could these guys seem like candidates one minute online, on the phone, but in person deserved a one dead fish rating? Dates 27 and 28. The next two were nice dates, kind of. CLH sat at the bar. He complained the place was hard to find. And I instantly flashed back to the lecher. CLH was distracted between the bartender and the baseball game on the screen. I suggested sitting in a booth, but nope, he was fine where he was. We ate in near silence, and as he walked me to my car, he gave me the church lady hug. Arms barely touching me, but butt stuck way out. Awkward. Weird. Date 28. The second was nondescript, nothing to report until the end of the date when he gave me the worst kiss ever. In all of about 10 seconds, he alternated between trying to stab me with his tongue, swallow my tongue, bite my lips and tongue, and nuzzle me. Then he asked if I was as turned on as he was. Huh? No, no, no. And if I wanted to get a hotel. When I said... Absolutely not. He said, why? And I explained that nothing had stimulated me and we didn't even know each other. He asked, not even the kiss? I said, especially not the kiss. And he stomped off saying he'd never gotten any complaints before. Yep, I thought they probably had no idea what to say to what had just happened to them. They were stunned into silence. Dates 29 to 30. These two dates almost didn't happen. The first, because our schedules kept clashing. I should have taken it as a sign. B 
because he took me to breakfast and I could swear I was in a Dr. Seuss book. Do women like good men? He asked, then answered himself. They will not date them in the rain, bad times. They always want these men to change. They will not date them with no car. They will not date those who live far. They will not date them if they smoke. They will not date them if they toke. They will not date them if they drink and will not tell them if they stink. They will not date them. Tell them scram. They will not date them. Sam, I am. That was the whole date. A one hour litany of reasons good men were ignored at the end of which he asked me for a second date and I was speechless. He said I was a good listener. <laughs> LOL. The second almost didn't happen because he kept gushing about how beautiful I was, how much he wanted to meet me, how he was already imagining what he would do to and with me to the point that he made me so uncomfortable that I told him to stop or I would not show up. It was lunchtime. I walked into Papacito's. Everyone in business attire, group three or four. My date wasn't here. The only man sitting alone had to be 75. My date was 45, a year older than me. I was turning to leave when he waved me over. I walked over wondering why, and he said, thank you for coming. I said, sorry. I think you have me confused with someone else. I'm waiting for someone. He said, me. I said, no, someone my age. He said, I like younger women. You wouldn't have come had I told you my age. I looked at his jowls and the age spots on his hands and said, you're right. And you shouldn't have lied. His nickname was Father Time. Dates 31 and 32. The Creep. I met him at Boudreaux's a place I'd heard raved about. The food was bad. The company worse as he proceeded to critique and criticize everyone, the wait staff, the customers, the people in the parking lot. I couldn't wait to leave. Mr. Nine months later. So when I was doing my winnowing in February of 2014, there was one guy who had almost made it into the first 16, but he suddenly stopped replying to my calls and texts. Then he reappeared, eager to meet. A meet and greet at Popeye's was arranged. He arrived, as did I, he in socks and sandals and knee-length shorts and a wife beater, underarm hair long and protruding from the pits. He was a mess. And he told me he thought I was more petite. I wasn't his type. Thank God. Save me the trouble of telling him something similar. 16 dates, no replacement. I took a break and enjoyed my last month with JJ uninterrupted. 16 was not my magic number this time. And I was more than a little surprised since this time I'd actually shelled out what felt like a pricey $35 membership only to learn this C held the same guppies. I also learned lesson two. I would never again play the victim with no voice. The sleeping beauty too comatose to seize life by the horns. The passive princess who never thought to cut her own hair and make a rope of it and climb out of her isolation. I had stayed in my marriage for my sons, but they were now men. And I was not going to ever just stay with a man hoping he would change. I was more resourceful than that. Around this time, I came across a name I had never heard before. Lilith. 
First, I heard it when I ran across some footage of Lilith Fair. I was intrigued by the name, even more by the myth. There were many. To sum them up and provide my own little spin, the Bible contains two stories of creation. One, where man and woman were created the same day as equals. The second, where man is created first, given dominion over everything and a job, naming everything. And then woman is created from his side, not his rib, mistranslation. So in Jewish mysticism or Kabbalah, the first creation was Adam's first wife. She embraced her equality, refused to have sex missionary style, a.k.a. submissively, intuited the real name of God, blasphemously spoke it, and instantly lost her human form, becoming a seducing spirit. In some myths, Lilith is a serpent who tempts Eve into seducing Adam with a fruit. And in some myths, that fruit is sex as Adam and Eve did not realize they were naked and thus had no awareness of sexuality. Thus, Genesis shows two different women, Lilith, who feels equal to a man, her husband, Lilith, who has all powerful intuition and a voice so powerful that she changes her fate forever. And Eve, the woman who was a follower, who was blamed by her husband for seducing him to eat a fruit who was punished by God with desiring her husband and birthing children in pain, who was the source of man earning a living arduously and only received a name after giving birth. Eve had no identity outside of motherhood and marriage, no name before Adam named her, just as he did all the other animals under his dominion. And the only words she spoke were words of apology. She apologized for wanting knowledge, for wanting more, for wanting equality. What a contrast. The powerful woman who is in touch with her sexuality, her boundaries, and her intuition to the point where nothing is hidden from her, not even God's secrets. The woman who defines her own identity and boundaries and voices knowledge beyond that known by her husband is vilified for thousands of years and only recently has been seen in any positive light. But Eve doesn't fare much better. Like Pandora, she is the scapegoat for original sin. She is the second archetypal reason women should be distrusted and controlled, not allowed to make decisions. She is the reason that women should be barefoot, pregnant, and ignorant. In fact, some men and even ministers thought painful childbirth, God's punishment on women for the fall, should not be eased. So they railed against epidurals. And interestingly enough, although Genesis acknowledges Eve's motherhood, it is Adam who gives birth to humanity through providing the source for Eve's very existence. So even in childbirth, a woman is subservient, bearing children for the man who gave her her name and her very existence as a continuation of his, not her, lineage. And what a horrible picture of marriage this paints for women. And God, as depicted in these stories, seems to have failed miserably at matchmaking. The first marriage results in divorce, the second in eternal consequences. The Garden of Eden is a place of perfection because a woman's voice and intuition has no foothold there. 
a bold, sexually aware woman, as depicted in what Lilith is said to become after leaving the garden, is a seductress, a succubus, sucking the life from men, a demon. And the more submissive woman with no name, no identity except what is given by her husband, speaks up once and pays for it for the rest of her life. And all her female progeny pay for it too. Well, I guess it's good that I don't live in the Garden of Eden because I decided lesson two was boldness. Be bold enough to want to know, to want to grow, and to slay your own dragons. No more patient, passive damsels in distress.